Hi, and welcome to EnviroCenter's Green Room. Meet the people on the front lines of climate action and find out what keeps them up at night. I'm Andy, and this week we're joined by Dan Youngs from Live 88.5. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Mandy. Uh, uh, would you like to introduce yourselves to our listeners? I was just going to jump in there as I was jumping all over you. Yes, uh, I'm the program director for Live 88.5 radio station here in Ottawa. Uh, and we are uh, Canada's first and only, unfortunately, carbon neutral radio station. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest today. So we ask all of our guests to bring one environmental sh- fact to share. What did you bring with you today? Uh, well, I'm not sure if it's a fact as much as it's a, it's an, an epiphany or an opinion, I guess, about uh, things that have happened. And one of them is, uh, I think your question specifically was something like, what are your major concerns with, with uh, things going on in the world? And I think one of the biggest problems that we face is deforestation combined with desertification. The idea that the Amazon rainforest is actually being depleted at such a great rate that it's not being replenished fully, which kind of led to our little contribution here in Ottawa with the carbon neutral plan. Uh, we work with the uh, Rideau Valley Conservation Authority to plant trees every year. So what we do is we figure out what our carbon uh, consumption is, and that includes not just the station, but also uh, the employees, their, their travel, uh, anything else that's related to the station throughout the year. And that's uh, us and our sister station. Then we plant the equivalent number of trees to offset that carbon, which works out to 10,000 trees a year. Uh, So, so far we're over 62,000 trees, I believe, since we started that. Mandy here, just a small correction. They buy $10,000 worth of trees since their carbon footprint equals 5,700 trees a year, totaling 62,500 trees since 2011. You think of these things as so large, you can't do anything about them, right? Like we don't, we don't live in Brazil. We can't stop the deforestation. However, maybe we can contribute in our own way. Canada also can be the lungs of the world with, with the amount of massive space we have with, with the trees that we have. So we're doing our part, I guess. Yeah, it's great to see it on the local level. Um, so that answer might kind of jive with your answer to the next question, which is what climate problem keeps you up at night? It is the deforestation stuff, because uh, you can see how the arguments always use, well, you know, climate change is a natural progress. And, and that's absolutely true that throughout natural history, we've seen how forests will dwindle, forestation and, and green will grow. Jurassic period, for example, where you've got all these massive animals because there's such abundance of greenery that the oxygen levels are so high that we can have these massive creatures that, that can be supported with that. And then as time goes by, you reach a, a maximum point and then it shrinks. It's almost like an accordion, right? Well, no green, lots of green. So little carbon, lots of carbon back and forth all through time. But I believe when we start doing things like deforestation and when we start putting down pavement, these are kind of new things in the last 100, 200 years that really didn't exist in that and nature before. And I think I, I kind of look at pavement as like a plaque. It kind of reflects heat and does some and draws heat in it. And it makes things a little bit more... Uh, uh, unnatural, I guess. The process, it speeds up the process combined with uh, our emissions. I just kind of worry that we we don't really have a great plan to, to kind of counteract that because there's a lot of discussion about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And talk with no action is is not really that great. Very true. Um, so you did talk a, a little bit about what Live 88.5 is doing uh, in terms of planting a really great number of trees. That's awesome. Um, so in addition to that, what is the solution? I got an idea and it's it's just kind of pie in the sky thinking, but let's let's look at this from an economic standpoint. Like Brazil deserves to have an economy. It's, it's a massive country with a huge population. And 
a lot of this is based on trying to, you know, support their own economy. Well, they also happen to be the one spot in the world that has this giant, unique rainforest. So that's kind of needed by all of us. So it seems to me it would be fair that the world could support Brazil's economy by saying, instead of tearing this down to sell this to, to various manufacturing and, and mass farms that will produce stuff, what if we just paid you to protect this rainforest instead? So their job actually reverses. And instead of actually, you know, doing what the rest of us do, which is to build factories, et cetera, et cetera, maybe that's not your main business. Maybe your main business is to plant trees and to protect the rare species and plants that exist in this thing. Because who knows what we're throwing out in there? We don't even know what's growing in there, in a sense. We're just kind of going in and plowing it down. There could be answers to all kinds of questions when it comes to medical, when it comes to technological, when it comes to resources and minerals. It would be a shame that we just kind of, what was Joni Mitchell's line, you know, <laughs> we pay paradise and put up a parking lot. You know, it just doesn't seem like that's the right answer to that. That's, it's just a pie in the sky idea I had. That's really interesting. I, yeah, that's really interesting. The, your job, protect this forest, protect everything that's in it. That's great. <laughs> we, we've done that, right, with the, uh, in Africa, where we've had, uh, various countries sort of say, okay, you, you're looking after the last few rhinoceros or the not other uh, animals like that. And they put them in protective areas and they actually have security guards on them. Now, it's sad that they can actually have enough or so few animals that they can get a few security guards now on them individually. But the idea is there. It's been tried. I think we can make it work. So what's in the way of that happening? Well, you know, if you're going to tell somebody they can't, you know, buy that land, somebody with bigger money seems to always have some more influence somewhere along the way to get what they want. If you've got enough money to buy those kinds of tracts of land, you have a lot of influence. I don't really know the Brazilian government, whether they're you know, in on the plan and saying, we really care about the rainforest or whether they actually haven't thought about it in that sense. You know, it, it, they're, they're more worried about the economy and the dollars flowing in than they actually are the, uh, the preservation of the species as a whole. That's very altruistic, right? To kind of put all the day-to-day worries of a, an economy aside in order to think big like that. But I think we have to make it worth their while. And I think anybody, if, if money works the one way, money can work the other way. And I think it's a pretty good investment. It's funny. I think money has been part of the answer to this question for every single guest that we've had. So <laughs> that's an interesting thing to note. Um, how can people help? I think it's an awareness thing. I mean, we're all aware of the problems going on with things like deforestation and uh, we don't really know what to do. And we, we might make a contribution here and there to various wildlife funds or other things. But I think the best way, once again, is money. If we actually do a little bit of research and we find out, all right, if there's a, a restaurant chain that is buying this land to put up livestock and take out the rainforest, who are they and how do you make your dollar become your boycott. If it's, I'm not going to mention it because I don't really know who it is. We always assume it's the same big corporations, but I don't want to you know, paint somebody out that isn't necessarily the victim here. But we know that X food, fast food chain takes up a lot of land and resources. Some of them are starting to think a little bit differently now. You know, it's never too late, I guess. It, in a sense it is, but it's never too late to say, let's pivot and go 180 on this thing. But if we start to sort of figure out who's doing it and kind of, hit them in the pocketbook, there'll be changes. Very good point. Um, in your opinion, what is the good future? The good future? <laughs> well, th I think the good future is when we all kind of understand that talking in circles isn't really what's going to get where we have to go. We have to actually have some action that falls out of it. And there's some things that are so obvious. I've mentioned the rainforest, but when you say man's impact through uh, 
you know, technological resources isn't really a, a factor because there's nature doing its own thing when it comes to climate change, for example. All you have to do is look in the ocean. When you see giant vast swaths of plastic float around, it's like that's a visual that says there's something wrong here. We have to uh, figure that out. Why are we using these plastics? Why are we not recycling them? How can we not recycle these plastics? There's so many things we could be building with them. Uh, you know, we could get all this stuff stupid up. We could be creating new kinds of uh, polymers, et cetera, et cetera, that create, you know, instead of using wood, we could be using these for decks. We could use this for a lot of other things we build in life, for housing. Think of how much natural resources goes into housing that could actually be something that lasts a little bit longer, more durable, because it's made of these things that are supposed to be permanent anyway. If it's going to be permanent, why not put it in something that should be permanent, not a... Uh, uh, you know, a bottle of water that you drink once and throw away, but it's going to be around for a thousand years. I know that's why we have glasses. I, I just think we have to start thinking in terms of what's the viability and what is the long-term effect of our economic decisions. Uh, you know, we open up, we open up a, 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 an electronic device we got and the packaging is ridiculous inside it. There's styrofoam, then there's a plastic cover, then there's peeled off stuff. And then there's, you know, it just, the box has got 55 different layers on it. There's five different languages of booklets inside it. It's like, and then there's the actual materials made to build the device. It's like, at least that's the one place we seem to be working better at recycling electronics and getting uh, more out of those resources. I think we just have to think that way with everything. That's it for this week's Green Room. Thanks so much for joining us as we get to the heart of climate action. You can find out more about our work and sign up for our newsletter at envirocenter.ca. Follow us on your favorite podcast app or subscribe on YouTube. See you next time.